And good morning and welcome to The Skinny for Friday, July 21st. I'm Mitch Perry, senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix. Joined here by my two colleagues, Ray Roa, creative loafing editor-in-chief and freelance writer and reporter Ben Montgomery. Hey. Good morning. How's morning. everybody doing? Good morning. All right. So on today's show, later in the program, we'll be hearing from Marlo Jones. He's the Newport Ritchie Black Lives Matter organizer who was wrongfully arrested by the Newport Ritchie Police Department in 2020 and then acquitted last year. And he's pursuing a civil claim against that city. And we'll talk to him later in the program. But first, it's been about 10 weeks or so since the conclusion of the Florida 2023 legislative session, noted by many longtime observers in Tallahassee as one of the most consequential in the state's history. And joining us to talk about today is Democratic State Representative Michelle Rayner. She's a civil rights and social justice attorney who made history in the fall of 2020 when she was elected as the first openly queer black member of the Florida legislature. Michelle, good to see you this morning. Hey, Mitch. Good to be here. Hey, friends. I feel like I'm with all my friends. How are y'all? Welcome, hey. welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we tried to get you, we we're going to originally have you back on in May, if you remember, uh, right after the session. But, uh, you know, at that time, your mom, she's your mother passed away. Correct. Harriet Singletary Rayner uh, passed away at the age of 78. Michelle, uh, if you could talk about her, because I know she was among the first group of students to integrate at USF. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, the day before I was supposed to come on, she um, passed away. Um, my mom is, was, is a G. Like, she is all the things and was really, I think, uh, you know, if you've read anything about it, I get what I do honestly, right? She um, was active in the civil rights movement, really believed in the human worth and dignity of all people. And so she was part of the USF-8. And um, it was, you know, while, you know, I'm still very much so heartbroken. She was my, she is, was my best friend. Um, I am so glad of what she and my father instilled in me. And I think that that's a lot of the reason why I show up the way that I show up, how I advocate the way that I do. Um, because at the end of the day, like it's really about service. It's not about a title. It's not about going to Tallahassee and all the things that come along with that. It's really about people and being able to serve them um, in, in the fullest capacity. And you're from Clearwater, right? That, I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and I basically, you know, you came on my radar back, I guess it was in 2019 when you were the attorney for the Mar Marquise McLaughlin case, mm -hmm. which uh, for listeners who may or or may not remember that. That was uh, kind of a, at the time, uh, a standard ground case mm -hmm. uh, of uh, an incident in a, a convenience store. Yeah, in Clearwater. Right. A and mile from my mom's house. And actually, yesterday was the three year anniversary. Three or four year Four year, four year. Four year. Four year it was in, I remember I was in Tallahassee when yeah. it happened in 2019. And, uh, and, and originally, police, Pinellas County Sheriff uh, Bob Gattieri did not arrest the man who, who killed uh, your, your client, you know, the person, your family that you were defending, Mr. McLaughlin. Uh, that changed later on. Uh, and uh, anyway, that's when I, you know, really found out who you were. You kind of became a name for yourself. And then, of course, ran uh, for the legislature the next year. Now, I, I should tell people, last year when you ran for re-election, you were redistricted, as everybody was, part yes. of the 10-year census. So your district now is, um, although you're a Pinellas gal, but you're like, a lot of your district is in Hillsborough County, right? Yeah, there's a good portion that's in Hillsborough County. And what's so interesting, I actually have to drive through other people's districts to get to the other side of my district. I guess they wanted the black folks to be together i don't know so <laughs> so you know that's that's just kind of you know how that works and you uh you were your republican candidate you defeated last year as a man that was and still is in jail and yeah I, he was sent 
since convicted. Yeah, seven, seven it, years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jeremy Brown, we're talking about former U.S. Green Beret. Audacity. Uh, <laughs> this is pretty crazy, and that's why I um, I was so I, I you know I did a lot of research when when this your campaign was going on. I told my editor like she's like I, no this guy's in jail right now. I mean, and it wasn't on the ballot. People a lot of people probably did not know that per se. Now again, the district is very you know Democratic friendly. Mm-hmm. We'll say that. So I think maybe the Republicans didn't really care that like you know that we you know was not going to be that competitive a district. So the guy's in jail, but but they did support him. Uh, we know yeah, that they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, okay, so a lot to talk about here. Obviously, um, let's begin with. Um, Property insurance, because <laughs> let's go with the priorities here, right? I mean, we could get all, we'll get all into this, the stuff that happened in terms of the uh, culture issues, but um, so chief finding. So we have Farmers Insurance, of course, is the highest profile company that left the state last week from writing policies. Now, Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Patronis criticized Farmers Insurance for their quote woke policies. <sighs> Is that what was going on here? No. So I need Jimmy Patronis to know, like, he has, like, literally one job to do, and it's to protect the consumers of the state of Florida. And so while he's engaging in these culture wars, engaging in this, quote, unquote, woke policies, he's literally not protecting the people of Florida and making sure that their property insurance premiums are affordable. You know, we know that we've had several special sessions on this, and the Republicans keep saying 18 months, you know, and it was 18 months, three years ago, right? Uh, it was 18 months, four years ago. It was 18 months, you know, five years ago. And we're still in the same position, if not worse than what we, what we were. And so at this time, I, you know, I, I really we're, I'm just at the place that the Republicans need to do their job. You know, we need to come back to the table with real solutions that give people immediate relief. You know, my my constituents um, don't want to hear, you know, uh, 18 months or 24 months. They are their premiums are going up $500. They're getting dropped by their uh, insurance companies. And there's no actual solutions because the majority party is more concerned about their campaign checks that are coming from insurance companies than the actual people that they have been elected to serve. Hmm. Um, I know there have been alternatives discussed by, by the Democrats. I Correct. know your, your leader, House Leader, Fletcher uh, Driscoll, talked about that. Uh, so Because when people say, like, okay, what did you guys do? And obviously you're in the, the super minority, so a lot of what you have to say isn't going to go anywhere. Um uh, the high cost of reinsurance, that's something I hear a lot about here as something that we, mm-hmm. the state could really try to address and maybe uh, there was proposal by Democrats to do that that did not get anywhere. Yeah, so Representative Hillary Cassell, who is our like area expert in this, um, she's been practicing property insurance law for about 16 years. You know, she, I was literally just on a call with her right before I uh, sat down with you, Mitch. And one of the things is is that uh, the time that we could have addressed reinsurance uh, lapsed or ended on June 1st, right? So when we could have addressed reinsurance, when some of those uh or profits that the insurance companies receive could have gone back to the consumer. Well, now it's it's a moot it's a moot issue because once again, this is something that you know the Republicans knew this is they this was on their radar. And most certainly, Jimmy Petronas, you're the CFO of the state of Florida. Don't you think you would have that deadline on your calendar? And so all of the things that. 
you know, we are doing or and and not we, the Republicans are doing, leadership is doing. You know, it's like that famous philosopher Brandy Norwood said almost doesn't count, you know. You know, I, it just does not count. And so I people are tired of this and I think that the Republicans need to own their failure in this. You know, it has not been the Democrats. We have proposed solutions as you stated that we ha- we have not been listened to. We've proposed amendments and omnibus bills and the Republicans need to, to they need to own it. They need to own it. Again, if you're just tuning in right now, we're talking to State Representative uh, uh, Michelle Rayner, Michelle Rayner Goolsby from uh, Hillsborough Pinellas County. Uh, she'll be here with us for about another 20 minutes or so, half an hour. So we've got a lot to talk to her about um, with Ben Montgomery and Ray Roa. And the, we want to open the phones up. If you want to talk to Representative Rayner, <laughs> why not? Let's hear uh, what the public is at. 813-239-9663. Okay, so the Florida Board of Education met two days ago. They approved a new standards for how black history should be taught in the state's public schools. And I see you winding up right now here on this. Um, in this latest development in the state's ongoing debate over African-American history, uh, which of course includes the education department's rejection of a preliminary pilot version of an advanced placement African-American studies course for high school students, which it claimed lacked uh, educational value. Uh, now, what we heard from the other day, the FEA, uh, the, the union calls the new standards a disservice to students and a big step backwards for a state that has required teaching African-American history since 1994. Uh, Andrew Spar, who is the president of the Florida Education Association, he said the other day in a statement, how can our students ever be equipped for the future if they don't have a full, honest picture of where we've come from? Florida's students deserve a world-class education that equips them to be successful adults who can heal our nation's divisions rather than deepen them. Governor DeSantis is pursuing a political agenda guaranteed to set good people against one another and in the process he's cheating our kids they deserve the full truth of american history the good and the bad now this is really this sounds really bad actually i mean it, it, <laughs> it, is, out, it is i mean there's been a lot of bad stuff i mean out, i tweeted bffr and i can't per- say that on the what it is but y'all go look it up we do have a dump button uh, well uh, no, be, I'm just <laughs> no, but be for real but in another word in that no i mean this is <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you can't see, if you're not watching this on YouTube, just uh, know that um, Representative Rayner is exasperated right now. It just, like, what are we doing? We are making our students less competitive. We've already done this with all of the legislation that we've passed. Um, We're making our schools less competitive. But you're literally telling people you don't matter. We're going to erase you. And then the thing that really irks me is that you have black folks who are on the board of education who are saying, oh yeah, we agree. And I was like, this is, you know, I'm going to get a little deep here. This is the disease of white supremacy, right? This is when we, you know, like I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why we have how we, I mean, I understand how we've gotten this far, but I, I, I just, it is unbelievable that we're literally having this conversation in 2023. It is unbelievable that people are saying that the enslavement, the trafficking of humans, what they, that they got, are, you know, acquired skills that could be of a benefit to them. You know, it's great. Like, let's this. level set that. When yeah. we say that about the Holocaust, right? let's level set that. Yeah, I mean, there's been a, there's been so much that have happened this year, this session. You, uh, you know, it's you know, I talked to Chevron Jones, your colleague. Yes, uh, my best friend. <laughs> I, I did a story about a, three weeks ago, a month ago, on um, 
with talking to elected LGBTQ officials in the state of Florida, actually, you know, tried to get a hold of you. I couldn't do that. Um, but there's about there's actually over 40 state elected officials, uh, LGBTQ officials in Florida, mayors, uh, you know, city council members throughout the whole state. Because I wanted to get their thoughts about you know this past legislative session when it came to the issues of the of the gay community because um, this was really really tough. And with and I was going to say with Chev Jones, it was like not only you know talking to a, an LGBTQ QT member, but a black person, in this case, a woman, you know, black, you know, gay person yourself, um, you told the Associated Press uh, back, I think it was in April or so, that um, it, this was not a good time for you. You said, uh, I actually have a policy of no longer crying in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. I'll cry when I go home. Uh, you added, I'm literally trying to exist. The harsh things what you're saying are in defense of our life. The harsh things that they're saying are to prop up the governor's political ambition and their, des- their desire and quest for power. So there was so much, as we've talked on the show, that you lived through uh, in the nine weeks up there in the session this year. That was really, um, I mean, Roger Santos has done a lot in, since he's been governor in terms of changing the trajectory of where the state is, which was already a red conservative mm-hmm. state, at least in Tallahassee. Uh, and now, um, but the sheer number of bills that addressed um, education that, that affected the mm-hmm. LGBTQ community, that are now African-American community when it comes to what we just talked about the other day. Um, I, I, I can see, you know, I know it's, it's, it's so hard and for you uh, to deal with this. And what do you tell your, your, your supporters, your yeah, constituents. Anyway, all this—I'm I'm sorry to interrupt—but all this coming at the same time the Philadelphia Inquirer is reporting uh, just the other day that there's a mass exodus out of Florida. Um, people are leaving the 100%. state. Uh, yeah, how do you stay in fight? I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, I've been traveling a little bit um, this summer, and people have said, "Oh, come to Connecticut, come to whatever." I mean, I was in Connecticut, and I was like, "Oh, this is so wonderful not to be holding all this tension in my body, like in you know, in a state." I mean, but here's the thing: I was born and raised in Florida. My family is multiple generations here. You're not going to make me leave. However, I understand and empathize with folks who are saying it's not safe for me to be here. It's not safe for my kids. It's not safe for the way that I, you know, how I show up or identify or, you know, I don't want my kids to have a subpar education, right? And so I, I, so I, I also get that. I think for me, you know, what, first thing is first, like I, I'm, I'm a black woman first and then I'm queer second. Like when you look at me, you see a black woman, right? So I also then now stand at the intersections of my identity. I stand at the intersections of being black, being a woman and being queer. And so now I am seeing how all of these policies are able intersectionally to harm every part of those identities, whether it's black folks, women, LGBTQ folks, any other folks that are marginalized. And so for me, it's you know, it, it has been really frustrating because I'm a nerd. I wanted to come up there and talk. I rather debate radioactive roads and why they are good and not good. And let's nerd out on this. Like we are literally telling folks who have done nothing to anybody that they don't have the right to exist. And we're gaslighting them and saying that Florida is a free state. And it really is the gaslight for me. Because that's what we're doing. We're telling people Florida's the freest state. It's the best state in the world, except if you are gay, except if you are black, except if you are a Democrat, except if you are a woman, except if you want to have abortion, except if you're an immigrant, except if you are. The- so who is it really good for, Ronald? Is it good for you, Ronald? It must be only good for you and your ilk. And it's only good for you and your ilk because you rule by fear. 
Did, I know you saw this. How about that ad that the DeSantis campaign put out, what, three weeks or so ago? The that, gay one? Yeah. It's an obsession for me. I mean, like, just just say you like men. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's, <laughs> I just... First off, you know how... Like, I, it's... No, but it really is. Like, I'm not trying to be cheeky, but it really is the obsession. You know, him and Randy Fine, it's really the obsession of you are so obsessed with what other people are doing in their own bedroom. Why? If you got something internally going on, deal with that. But the fact of the matter is, it is, they're very unserious, but they're also very dangerous. And what happens is, is that we can't shrug off these, you know, these ads and these tweets because these ads and these tweets turn into legislative policy that gets passed that then harm people. And so then again, we are in a place where, you know, we can't just say it's just meaning, you know, meaningless rhetoric. Right, right. You know, I just uh, finished reading this book called uh, Secret City. That It's the, the hidden history of gay Washington. Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating on so many levels about politics and, and gay history and, um, you know, and, and politics. And I grew up in the, you know, I'm, you know, older. I grew up in the late 70s in San Francisco, which is like the number one, you know. Uh, the Mecca. Yeah, absolutely, right? Harvey Milk, I, I was there tragically when he passed away. I was in high school at that time. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of had this perspective growing up in the 70s where I think really the gay rights movement really went to a different agenda that I, I'm still learning about how, how bad it was up until like even the late 60s or, you know, the Stonewall riots in terms of how gays have been treated in America. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and you've always, you know, you had Anita Bryant in the state and the Chef Jones, you know, he was on this um, uh, podcast with Rachel Maddow that talked about the Johns Committee, mm-hmm. right, back in the late 50s, early 60s. It went after uh, homosexuals. That's what they call, you know, said the term there was. And and so in a way that, that you know, it's not that long ago that this these kind of policies you know, you, you think growing up, and you guys are younger than me in terms of like our culture that we've grown up with in terms of gay rights here. Um, so it's really, uh, you know, shocking in a way that the way that this pendulum has gone back so quickly, just in a couple of years here, um, DeSantis did not run on this stuff in 2018. He did not. Right? Nobody really knew that this was going to be part of this. And in fact, he started out when he was elected, he started out a little bit more moderate, right? I think that there was also concern at that time that Andrew Gillum was going to come back and, you know, whatever. And I think when he found out that Andrew wasn't going to be a threat, that's when you saw he leaned into a lot of this really um, ultra, ultra conservative, which is actually who he was. I mean, he was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus in in Congress. Um, So this is, I mean, this is who he is, Um, you know, and, you know, my mother used to say, what's in you is going to come out. So, you know, you can only (laughs) hide it for so long. Let me ask you a question here. Um, you know, a lot of people would like to write the Florida Democrats off right now. Just a couple of days ago, the GOP is touting this 500,000 plus voter um, advantage. But you are on the ground every day. You mentioned talking to your constituents mm-hmm. who you try to lift up and empower and just get through another day. And in the spirit of, of repeating successes and, and, you know, finding something that works in talking with organizers, have you seen anything that's given you hope um, as far as Democrats on the ground? What are those things and, and what is your hope as far as the party and, and the strategy there? Yeah, so I mean I, I am hopeful. I think I always stay in a place of, of hope. One, I think for me what's given me encouragement is that 
It's the people on the ground. Like, so when we door knock, when we are, you know, talking to folks at the doors, they are taking it upon themselves to organize their own communities, to organize their own place, spheres of influences, right? Also, I think what's also giving me hope, I was actually on the phone with um, our, our good friend, uh, Richie Floyd today. Sure. So like having Pete, folks, that's, that's my boy, having folks like him in office who are of the people, right? So folks like him who are of the people, that also is giving me hope. Also, I think that what we're even seeing on a statewide level is that we're seeing a more cohesive message from the Democrats. We're seeing a more uh, regimented message. We're seeing more uh, lockstep, which I think that, um, you know, is is good. But on the ground, you know, I, for me, I'm a big believer of being hyper local. I'm a big believer of making sure that you are organizing your community because that's how you get power out um, instead of just focusing on state uh, elections or federal elections. I mean, People kind of know me in my neighborhood, but they know Richie. They know Deborah Fig Sanders. They know the city council people, right? They know they will find them. And then they, you know, they know me a little bit more because like, obviously, I, you know, I used to be on the ground before I, you know, um, I got elected and I, and I tend to be very out um, as an elected. But those are the things, those are the people that really make the most difference. And so as we've been focusing on these local elections, like even with Brother John and all of these things in St in St. Pete and, and Lynn Hurtak here in Tampa. I think that we are seeing people who are really electing folks who are in their best interest. And as they're electing people who are in their best interest, you're seeing folks um, mobilize and organize their own communities and spheres of influence. And that actually gives me real hope because no one's coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. Again, we're speaking with Michelle Rayner Goolsby, a state representative from the Hillsborough Pinellas County area. Um, Michelle, you are a couple of things I want to say here. We've only got about 10 minutes or so That's with fine. you. Um, you are, you're studying, you're in a Master's of Divinity program. Wow, you really do your research, golly. <laughs> so what's going on with that? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Church of God in Christ, shout out to Kojic. Um, I was actually ordained minister. Um, and I am actually currently serving at Allendale um, at United Methodist, shout out to Andy Oliver. Like, you know, he's the homie and the accomplice. Um, and for me, <laughs> It is about one, I'm reclaiming the message of faith that the Republicans have hijacked, but also the black church has always been historically about liberation and what does liberation look like and how does liberation come through faith and not just a particular faith, but all faith, right? And so for me, I have been really, as a legislator, really grappling and wrestling with the message of liberation. So a lot of times, even my more recent speeches, I talk a lot about King. I talk a lot about um, Bayard Rustin and Malcolm X and, and Fannie Lou Hamer. And I, I lean into these uh, ideas of what liberation looks like because that is what's going to get us free. Like legislation is great and that is a tool but when you lean into liberation and community care and you know I would even say abolition I know my consultants probably like I'm dying right now but <laughs> all of those things that is what actually gets us free and so my program is based in liberation womanist theology interesting now you were also um, I saw this uh, looking at your Twitter feed oh I, didn't see this, I didn't see this in the national news at all so the White House had a gathering of LGBTQ leaders uh, last 
last month. Uh, you met up with Vice President Kamala I Harris. I did. I was invited to her uh, private residence before the actual reception, and it was great. And she acknowledged uh, the dumpster fire Florida is right now. Um, actually, she's going to be here today. Yes, yeah, in Jacksonville. I am not going. Uh, love her. I was like, the Jacksonville's three hours away. Right. But um, it was really wonderful, A, to be there, but it was also wonderful to know that um, the work that we're doing, the Democrats, what we're doing has not been in vain. Um, it is being seen, um, and the Biden administration is doing what they can to do to support um, and to, um, you know, work with us to kind of, you know, change the trajectory of the state of Florida. Let me ask you about Vice President Harris. We, uh, we talked about it here because, uh, you know, Joe Biden's numbers continue, poll numbers are not the, the greatest. And, you know, he's the, looks like nobody's going to challenge him for the Democratic primary. Kamala Harris is there. We've, you know, everybody knows her poll numbers have not been good. I think, I, I think she gets kind of a bum rap, actually, now. Uh, and I think the reputation kind of gets set in a few years ago when she struggled in the 2019, 2020 campaign. Uh, and, you know, she, they were bringing her to Florida a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, where she was in Tallahassee earlier this year, mm-hmm. right after uh, um, uh, abortion, since you were talking about the abortion, Roe v. Wade anniversary. Uh, so your, your thoughts about uh, Vice President Harris in terms of her possibly be our next president. Listen, I'm a fan. Hashtag trust black women. So um, I'm a fan. I think that she has, is coming into her own in a way that is, I just, is just, it's, it's wonderful to see. I mean, she's, Obviously, incredibly intelligent, incredibly thoughtful policymaker. Um, I, I love the fact that she is uh, also empathetic with it. Um, I think that you know we're seeing her, and I'm I'm grateful that we're seeing her out more um, because I think that you know as I've as I continue to see her speak, she was just at my uh, my sorority shout out Delta Sigma Theta. They had their national convention, and she was speaking there. And she was at Essence, and as we're seeing her at more of these things, you know she's really kind of honing her own message, her own. Um, her own um, kind of just her own way and I I think that it's so important because I think that she's able to speak to things with a nuance and an intersection that sometimes you know Joe Biden, you know, God love him. God love, love Joseph, you know, Robert, uh, you know, Joseph Robinette Biden, but, you know, (laughs) but, you know, he can't always speak to. And so, and I I think that they are being very wise and utilizing her in a more strategic way. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, this legislative session that respect that you had a bill uh, you co-sponsored with Brevard County Republican Tyler Sarraw that passed 104 to zero uh, in the House. Did and, not move in the Senate. Right. Um, and it was it was a social media protection for minors bill. Tell yeah. me what that was about. Listen, you know, I am a person. I'm with you when you're right. Um, you know, social media for our students has been something that is been very dear to me, very dear to my wife. Um, and really a lot of what we're seeing is that how we can navigate the accountability part, part for um, part for the social media companies. You know, we're not here to try to restrict access. What we're here to say is there needs to be accountability metrics that are transparent for us to know how our children are accessing this and then not only those accountability uh, metrics are transparent but you also need to provide the accurate resources to students whether it's bullying or violence or all of those things and just like everything else comes up in my feed that should also come up in our feed as well and what we've been seeing is that there really hasn't been transparency from a lot of these social media companies Um, and I get it like I get it like but you know 
when we have students who are harming themselves and children who are, you know, young women, especially who are, you know, just have body dysmorphia, all of these things, like we, like at some point, like if they're not going to self-regulate, like I'm going to have to, as my mother said, I'm going to have to help you do that. Right. Mm. And so, and that's really what that bill was about. You only get uh, in the house seven bills, I believe. Seven bills, yeah. So, right, that's really. I, I was. I noticed because I spoke with uh, your colleague Mike Gottlieb last week. Yes, and, and, oh, and I did a story, um, you know, about the heat. Actually, you know, because he co- he sponsored a bill about the, you know, everybody's talk of course of the incredible Florida heat this summer, mm-hmm. and you know, there's been legislation for the last few years to uh, for heat protections for workers outside. Yeah, and the thing was is like, you know, I in you know respect represent. And Gottlieb said that I asked him though, you know, maybe maybe next year now because like there's more focus on this, and of course there's been two couple tragedies this summer here, people dying. Mm-hmm. Literally, there's probably more than that, but that's what's been reported. Um, and he told me though, he said he wasn't sure he would file it next year because he only gets seven bills, and he wants to make sure, ideally, because you only get so many years in the in the house, right? You know that you get some bills over the yeah. over the finish line. And I understand what he was saying there, and I also so I think that, and this goes for even Republicans, right? They, they y'all won't have the same amount here, um, but that's why. You know, obviously, I guess it was you know smart of you to join up with Sarah there uh, because it has a lot better chance than uh, right if you don't strategy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and tell me, I, I was watching. You know, I, I was up at the session the whole time this past you year. Were. I saw you. Um, uh, you know, you really, even though you're very tough in terms of debating with Republican colleagues, but you seem to get along with many of them, especially here in the Hillsboro, you know, your your local uh, jurisdiction here. So I get along with people who are respectful. I get along with people who. Um, are, don't lean into this woke Ron DeSantis thing. There are some colleagues I do not speak to. Um, I don't, I, I can't handle intellectual dishonesty. Um, so if you're intellectually honest, if you are respectful, we can have a debate. If you actually are trying to come to a common ground, we, got, we can get along. But when you don't do any of those things, what, what are we gonna talk about? Are there those on the other side of the aisle who pretend to be anti-woke, but backstage sort of give you a, yeah, I know, it's just part of the game. A hundred percent, yeah, but then, you know, and those folks, I have a harder time as well because it's like, you you know this is foolishness. Like, you know this is foolishness. And I get it, it's political, like, because, you know, they will they will primary you, they will do all, they will take your appropriations, they'll do all of those things. Um so I get it, but it, that is that's hard. I mean, of course, they'll pull me aside and say, you know, Michelle, like I don't really like this. Like I don't like this bill. Like I, this is da, 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 whatever you know, whatever the the insert whatever. But yeah, I mean, a lot of them know that this is foolish. A lot of them didn't come up there for that. A lot of them don't like to be told what to do. Now I've actually never heard of woke before. You know, two or three years ago. Correct, and you know, and I've said on the house floor, I take great issue to woke because you called the little n word. I called it. It's. It's. I. I said it was the basically you're saying the n word. Yeah. Yeah, well, that says a lot in terms of how you feel about that. By the way, speaking of what you're saying with your Republican colleagues, what they don't say, I've been hearing things, you know, uh, about uh, with Governor DeSantis uh, about what they think about him. And I'm curious about this because, again, we'll see how, you know, the presidential uh, uh, campaign, which I think is being written off a little bit too early here. Maybe I'm naive here, but always. Oh, you know, Mitch. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I just don't think speak I've seen, that into existence. Well, 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 <laughs> well, we'll just have to wait and see, you know. But the point is, because, I mean, Donald Trump, now this trial is going to happen in May now. We just heard today his um, Mar a Lago. Situation. I'm hoping it gets delayed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, with the Trump campaign there on that one. So I am. But, I am. But but, but this, this is, is a weird feeling. It's the weirdest feeling. Strange 
president, fellas. But, but uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, unless he becomes the president, is going to be the governor of Florida for three more years. Not one year. I talked to somebody recently who said, like, I thought he was out in 20... No, no he's not out in 2024. He's here for 20, 20 to 2026, 20, yeah. Right. So... Um, uh, an angry uh, a Ron DeSantis who oh, doesn't win the presidential child. election, and, and I'm curious, what, you know, I guess it's, it's all speculation. What, how Republicans who have been, as you well know, have acquiesced, uh, you know, incredibly put themselves in certain positions here to uh, bow down with the agenda that some have not support. You know, I, I mean, we saw on the, the union bill, we saw some, you know, people who didn't want to vote for that. They, you know, there was definitely things that they did not want to vote for, mm-hmm. but they had to do it, it. The whole thing of holding out for the endorsements, you know. How a few months ago for his presidential run. So, um, a, 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 you know, a Ron DeSantis legislature next year, or maybe actually that's yeah, in January and he may be still, maybe that's too so early to see. he may be see. still viable, yeah. Right, right. But nevertheless, um, you think it might be a different tenure uh, or, you know, feeling up there mm-hmm. with your colleagues on some of these Listen, things. Listen, you know, I, I, in the words of the great philosopher Lil Wayne, they need to actually figure out, they, they need to say what's a goon to a goblin. Mm. And basically, Ron DeSantis is a goon and they need to be a goblin. They need to stand up to him and they need to decide that who they're going to be because at the end of the day the legislature is the legislature the executive branch is the executive branch and the courts are the courts and if Ron DeSantis wanted to be a legislator he should have ran for the legislature he wants to be governor he can't can't do everything Um, I think that if he becomes a little bit more weak, you will see them stand up to him a little bit more. But also remember, he still has a veto pen, right? So, the, you know, that's also something that, you know, we, that they have to be be mindful of. I just would prefer them to to stand up. I, I often joke with them and I said, listen, it couldn't be me. I can't have another grown person tell me what I can't and can I do. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I don't know how this works, right? Um, and, you know, of course, it's, it's, it's joking, but I'm serious. Like, because at the end of the day, the people that I press my button for, I was elected just like Ronald. I was elected just like any of these other folks. And I'm accountable to them. And I'm not accountable to the governor. I'm not accountable to a party. I'm accountable to the people that I serve. I'm accountable to my neighbor who came to my house at nine o'clock the other night to talk to me about property insurance. Those are the people I'm accountable to. You know, it was only a little. I was thinking this the other day. It was only a little over a year ago that you were a candidate for Congress. Oh, we're gonna talk about that. I uh, no, no. I mean, it's, it's it's crazy how things kind of like yeah. move or don't. And it was, and you were the only one who who was the actual Democrat who still was in the district, right? When they changed mm-hmm. the district lines, of course, it was you, Eric Lynn, Ben Diamond, uh, Anna Paulina Luna, who of course is the Congresswoman there. Um, yeah, that is the situation in Pinellas County. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know. I I I pivoted back to the state house when it was very clear that it was not viable and um you know and I'm actually glad I did you know I think for me the fight um, is in the state legislatures you know the fight um it not just in Florida but throughout the country and so I'm glad to that I, I think it was the right decision. I'm glad that I, I, I came back um, because really the fight for democracy that we're really seeing, it rests in the state legislature. Well, I think this state legislative session was like uh, a, a, such a national focus because of Ron DeSantis. And I was thinking about this, you mentioned this earlier, talking about Richie Floyd and some of the local things in St. Petersburg. How do you feel? I mean, maybe it's different now because there's been so much attention because I've always seen in terms of covering politics that people, if they care about politics, a lot of them watch cable news. They know what's going on with Donald Trump mm-hmm. and Joe 
Joe Biden, and maybe even they're local, they care enough, that local officials, but state lawmakers, a lot of times they don't know what the heck goes, goes on up there. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, they kind of do this year now because of so yeah. many things that have happened, right? Yeah, and I think I've always, since I've been elected, have always really taken the, the avenue of really um, educating my constituents, really being with them, not just asking them for a vote, but like knocking on doors when it's off season, doing town halls, having all of the stuff online, tweeting, all of the doing all of the things, like doing stuff like this. So people are like, okay, so she's out here. Like, I don't believe in like absentee leadership. And, you know, unfortunately, we have folks who have to do that. Um, and so that's why I think the hope is when you see more people elected people who are of the people like we understand that like you know this is service like this is gonna be done i mean like and after this like how have how can i look back and say that i was able to serve the people of district 62 of florida in a way that was honorable in a way that had integrity in a way that was real um in a way that was empathetic um in a way that got us closer to liberation Okay, I think on that great note, we'll leave it there. Uh, yeah, shout out. I never thought I would hear the two words liberation theology. As somebody who tries to get like a liberation theology podcast on during family trips and gets shut down, I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. that was a little Wayne shout out. Yes. Um, so I think that's really cool. Uh, thank you so much for, for being here, bringing your energy Thanks. in here, and it's just really great to see you. So good to see you. This is like fame. I'll, now, you know, I'll come back now. You know, I, I love Mitch, it was, it, was a couple, it was a tough couple months. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, State Representative Michelle Rader Goulds. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon, hopefully. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Bye. All right. We will transition now to a different part of our program now, and we'll Ray, yeah, why don't you take as, it from there? As, you know, as, as Representative Rainer exits, you know, she talked about staying here because her family's here, and, and, and our next guest, um, Marlo Jones, in, in this latest story, he talks a lot about that, too. Um, he's got roots in, in Paso County. I think he's signing into a Zoom um, right now, so I'll kind of preface this. So after 2020 um, CL, Creative Loafing, thanks to Justin Garcia and our photographer, Dave. Dave Decker, we're really able to be present in Newport Ritchie, uh, where Black Lives Matter protests have been active um, and, and the community has been making their voice heard. And, and Justin since joined the Times, but um, Ariel Stevenson has been able to put some energy behind this belief that news outlets should not abandon that part of the region. And her latest story is about mm. um, a judge denying Newport Ritchie's motion to dismiss a lawsuit from uh, one of those Black Lives Matter protesters, Marlo Jones. Um, It's been over a year since uh, Jones was acquitted of felony obstruction and battery on a law enforcement officer. And if you're just catching up, um, in July 2020, during a protest, um, Jones jumped between a drunk man punching a female activist in the face during a peaceful BLM rally in downtown Newport Ritchie. Um, Cops arrested that man that night for disorderly conduct, and Jones walked away. That man got 30 days in jail. Um, a week later, Jones was at the Newport Ritchie Police Department filing a missing, person, a missing persons report because that woman who had been punched, uh, he had been told was missing. Turned out police had actually arrested her for allegedly having a concealed handcuff key in her pocket uh, when, when uh, she was searched on July 24th. Um, she later, uh, she was charged with a felony, um, agreed to a plea deal. She got six months, uh, about $625 in fines and had to write um, a letter of apology um, according to Ariel's reporting. But when Jones was in the uh, police station that night, 20 to 30 Newport Ritchie cops um, surrounded him, arrested him, charged him with felony obstruction and battery on a Leo. 
Um, but the city had bad evidence and worse uh, witnesses. Uh, one of the cops, Nicholas Rickus, um, who did not have his body cam on and falsely claimed that Jones touched him, actually resigned um, from Newport Ritchie Police in October 2021 under no investigation. Um, in court, Rickus could not remember where Jones had even tapped or pushed him on July 24th. And on May 5th, 2022, almost two years after his arrest, um, a jury found Jones not guilty. Um, last summer, he filed a civil suit um, against the city. Um, has Marlo Jones signed into the Zoom? No, we don't have Marlo Jones um, yet. So we will bring Marlo Jones on. And, and you know what's interesting with uh, the Newport Ritchie thing in the context of what Michelle Rayner was talking about, um, in talking to Ariel, Jones really talked about how he has roots there. He has a family there. Um, his family has been there forever. But also in that part of, of Florida, and I don't know how much Ben can speak to this, um, you know, what Jones went through in this particular case is, is very extraordinary. Um, but it's also part of a long history of, of racism in Newport Ritchie and Pasco County and nearby Polk County, um, where documented hate groups like the Proud Boys most recently have mm-hmm. been seen praying with police over there. And then, you know, you talk about Moon Lake and the Ku Klux Klan uh, have long had a, a foothold over there. Um, I think it was in 93 there was reporting. So this local den of the Ku Klux Klan has been, was allowed to adopt a road as part of a highway cleanup plan. Um, and other Pasco County residents obviously did not like that. It was one mile stretch of pavement and it was cleaned by Klan members in the same way. Uh, what, so, what year was that? I think it was 93. It, it was it, it was a while ago, but in the, in the not grand that long ago, it's, it's really the not 90s? that. Yeah, right. so um, so it's, it's pretty interesting uh, that the history of that in that part of the country. Marlo, are you there? No, Marlo. Okay, um, all right, <laughs> Marlo. If, if you're listening, if you can call in, maybe eight one three two three nine nine six six three. We'll get you on here, and uh, we can get an update um, from you. You know, before uh, before we got going, we were talking about the heat, and I hate to jump ship right now, but uh, if Marlo decides to join us here momentarily, we can we can bounce. Well, to there's him, a but, heat advisory right now, Ben, in Pinellas County, just to let our listeners know, and in Hillsboro. Okay, uh, yeah, incredibly hot out there, and uh, I'm not sure where we go with this, but Mitch, there is some uh, some. Uh, uh, dangerous heat, it turns out. Some deadly heat in South Florida, as you reported last yeah, week. Yeah, and I, and I wrote the story uh, that came out a couple of days ago about the dangerous heat and the fact, and I mentioned this in our interview with uh, Rep. Rayner, uh, where there's been, uh, for the last five years or so, uh, legislation proposed. And last year, actually, uh, excuse me, this year, I had a Republican sponsor, Anna, uh, Maria uh, Rodriguez, uh, from South Florida, that would be a basic protections. You're not talking about a whole lot here. Some water breaks, what have you, some time to to be in the shade for uh, or, uh, or, there's okay Marlo. okay so we're gonna now okay well, we'll talk about the heat later we'll go back to marlo here marlo are you there hey hey how's it going good how are you i'm doing great i'm doing great thank y'all so much for having me on i appreciate it of course we just uh talked about the update here and, and how the judge denied um the a motion from the city to dismiss that lawsuit can you talk about your headspace today as you headed to the next phase of this uh, you know all while still navigating the fallout and trauma of, of that night you were arrested and that summer in general uh, yeah um you know i'm just very thankful uh you know that the judge you know did that um you know, it's just been it's been it's been a nightmare these last few years, you know, uh, for me and my family. And, uh, you know, my headspace is it's just been all over the place. But, you know, you know, I keep my faith in God and, and 
the love and support of my community. It's just been overwhelming and, and just so helpful in these traumatic times. But we're very thankful that the case is moving forward and we are happy and we do feel that we're going to get justice. Marlon, if I could ask you, so um, what, what are you calling for in your, in your lawsuit here? Uh, justice and accountability. And, and, how, and, and what does that look like for you? Um, it looks like um, the people that put me in the situation that I had to fight for my life and, you know, be cleared by a jury of my peers. It looks like them being held accountable, um, changes being made um, to the way things are done and the systematic racism that we've all been facing here in uh, this part of Pasco County. And it looks like um, me being able to get back a part of my life that I've not been able to enjoy for many years now. And Marla, can you talk about um, some of the amendments that were made to this uh Complaint. I think last month it's a 42-page complaint, um, and and your attorney together with you. Um, some people named in this lawsuit originally became very problematic to serve. Um, seven attempts were made uh, to serve people in the lawsuit, including Newport Ritchie City Manager Debbie Manns, the former police chief Kim Bogart, who retired uh, earlier this year after defending cops who made Holocaust jokes and prayed with those proud boys. Um, so the the new complaint uh, has Manns, Bogart, uh, det- uh, detective in the city. Um, a lieutenant in the city, uh, Rickus, who uh, supposedly said that you touched him, who, but who could not remember that, and um, Newport Richie's mayor. Can you talk about having to amend that and, and what that means for the lawsuit going forward? Um, there's only really so much I can say because, you know, it's still a pending uh, legal matter. But I will say this, um, you know, as you can see what's been public knowledge already, you know, some of these individuals were problem, problematic to serve. Um, and some of the people that you listed, Um, One thing we were trying to understand is if they've done nothing wrong, why are they hiding? Why do Why are they running from process servers if they've done nothing wrong? Um, But um, I have full confidence in my legal team. Kevin, uh, Kevin Ross is is an amazing lawyer um, and he is doing a great job with this case. And um, any other questions, I will refer to him uh, on particular on the amendments of the complaint, but, I will say, you know, going through this nightmare for for three years and counting to see that these officials who've all been caught publicly, you know, via text messages and all this stuff, to see that they can't even accept a process server is, you know, something's it just makes you think what's really going on that, you know, they bury their heads in the sand and they don't want to face the music. What are they hiding? Marlo, that, of course, the, was, this incident, of course, happened, I think, was June in 2020, uh, which is basically the heart of uh, the apothesis of the, uh, the, the, the protests during the George Floyd, the, the aftermath of that, which we saw throughout the country. Uh, we saw places that had never protested uh, against racism uh, break out and it was really uh, something amazing. Uh, it's been in many ways uh, years later now reflected on uh, certainly by folks say, on the conservative side as being uh, all the types of riots that would have you and it was out of control, et cetera. When in fact, I think it was one of the biggest civil rights movements, you know, events that we've that we've seen in our lifetime with those who have been around who weren't around in the early 60s. Um, it's a different time now, obviously, but well, how would you say uh, in terms of the, the, what's going on there in your, in your community, in Newport Ritchie, when it comes to Black Lives Matter? Yeah. So, you know, after the death of George Floyd, something happened, not just in this country, but around the world. Mm -hmm. And it reverberated, 
you know, and I am, um, I was an organ- organizer already that was engaged civically, but, um, what we did here when we formed a black lives matter group is we, we were out here in the community peacefully. And I say it again, peacefully protesting all of the hundred or so marches that I organized and led were all peaceful on our part. You know, we weren't, uh, like what they were trying to portray as the vandalism, the the setting things on fire. No, we were peaceful people that lived in this community, that loved this community, that wanted to see it flourish. But we had a problem. We had systematic racism. We had cops that were praying with Proud Boys. We had cops that were giving out intel to militia groups that wanted to harm us. I mean, the Newport Ritchie police had to let go of an officer because he did just that. You had cops in that department posing behind Confederate flags. You had people that were coming out to those protests that were arrested for storming the Capitol. So that just gives you a sense of the danger that we were in. You know, I've never, I've never, until all this stuff started, felt so unsafe in my community. I was getting death threats, nooses sent to my house, letters of, you know, get out of town, leave the cops alone. I don't have anything against cops. I have people in my family that are cops. I don't like bad cops. I don't like cops that lie on affidavits to send innocent people to prison. I don't like cops that communicate with militia groups and proud boys trying to harm us, you know, because we were all peaceful. And it just sucked that we had to go through that. But... What you've seen with that George Floyd protest and around the world, it, it reverberated right here in Newport Ritchie because we have a lot of systematic racism that's been here for a long time. My family moved here in 1925. We live on the same plot of land. A hundred years ago, it was called the Colored Quarters. Now it's called the Pine Hill area of Newport Ritchie. If you just do the history on it and look it up, I mean, it's so it's still almost like stuck in the Jim Crow era. Right next to my grandmother's estate is a the Booker oh. T. Washington, where my family went to school, you know, during segregation. It's a good old boy network here, and we're going to dismantle it. I think we've got a phone call. Want to yeah, the phones here? Marla, we're going to bring a, a phone call. Oh, no, I should be lost. Oh, the, so, yeah, Marla, you, you spoke with Ariel <laughs> Stevenson um, about that, your family moving to Newport Ritchie in 1925 uh, from Georgia in, in Pine Hill, the way you described it. Some people would describe it as, as one of the first um, black subdivisions. But, um, you know, in talking with Representative Rayner, she, you know, we talked about her, her mom and how she was one of the first eight uh, students to um, – uh, desegregate uh, the University of South Florida. Can you talk about what it feels like to have lived in a place for that long and why? I mean, I'm sure you've had the option to leave and and go, you know, find a more peaceful existence. Why wouldn't you just do that now? I mean, I, I, I think I'm correct. You have kids at home and, and you yeah. know. I, yeah. Um, well, you know, I've lived here my whole life. My family has, a, you know, my family has an interesting part of this history here in Newport, Richie. My grandfathers and uncles were all laborers who helped build the historic downtown, the Hacienda. They are the people who came to Newport Ritchie and helped make it what it is today, you know, back when it was a thriving citrus industry. My great-grandmother used to clean houses for um, white folks. It was almost kind of like The Help, the movie The Help, if you ever seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was really great, um, but we've been here for a century and um, I love it. I mean, you know, my, my family's here. Everything is here. I did leave for a short period of time when I was doing some acting jobs in New York City. 
Um, you know, and it was the first time I've ever stepped outside of this country bubble and I was able to see the world. But death and people dying and cancer brought me back here because my family needed me. But, you know, this has always been almost like trapped in a time, like almost still trapped in the Civil War era. Right next to my grandmother's house is a, is a historic cemetery where they have soldiers buried as far back as the Indian War, uh, World War II, World War One, But it's an all-white cemetery. Not one black person is buried in that cemetery in a community where only black people could be at that time. I remember hearing stories from my great-grandmother how you could not go outside after dark. You couldn't go outside after dark here in this community. Um, and I grew up in the 90s, and I remember the first time someone called me the N-word, and I didn't really understand until someone sat down and told me, you know, people are going to do that to you because of the color of your skin. And as I got older, I started to realize why some of my friends that come from Tampa or come from other states, they say when they come to Pasco County, it's like they're stepping back in time, you know, and it, and it's true. You know, it's sad that it's still some pockets of that hate that has thrived, you know, in the Moon Lake Ku Klux Klan era. But some of that is alive and well. Um, but I continued to come back and stay because I wanted to be a part of the solution. I want, I don't want my daughters and my son to grow up when they come back to this area or if they want to live here and say, wow, what, what did, what did my father do? Or what did my parents do to try to make it better? I feel I owe it to my ancestors, my great grandmother who lived to be 91 and all those people who came before me to try to make my community better. And after I went through everything I went through and my trial and I won and I seen the love of my community, it made me want to be here even more because I seen how many people I touched and I inspired. And I said, you know, I'm not doing it because it's easy. I'm doing it because it's hard. And I want to see more accountability. I want to see more diversity. I want to see black people and brown people on the school board and on the city council. I want people that look like me feel that they can also be in positions to help you know yeah so thank you marla for that update um on on your lawsuit and we will uh keep an eye on that if you're just joining us that was the voice of newport richie black lives matter activist marlo jones who was wrongfully arrested in 2020 uh, acquitted by a jury of a felony battery on a law enforcement officer and is now um in a lawsuit within the city of newport richie and the judge has just denied the city's motion to dismiss the lawsuit thank you so much marlo Thank you so much. I really appreciate y'all. Have a wonderful day. You right. too. Great and to and to uh, you. thanks to uh, Representative Michelle Rayner, uh, who came on the show today, Mitch. Thank you for bringing um, uh, the Representative Rayner in here. It's really fascinating to talk to her at, at, at this time. And kind you of know, see- I, I think it's actually, you know, we were originally going to have her on right after the session ended. I think it would have been much more raw. Or, you know, he's had a couple of months here to kind yeah. of, you know, uh, take in all what happened uh, in Tallahassee earlier yeah. this year. Uh, yeah, yeah so. it's amazing how she's able to keep, you know, that energy and that, that spirit up, which she's been very, uh, you know, adamant about. Joe Allen is in Studio One with Art in Your Ear coming up next. On behalf of our board operator, Skip Sassy, phone operator, Irene, my co-host, Mitch Perry, to my left, ben, ben Montgomery to my right. You've been listening to The Skinny here on WMNF Tampa. We'll be right back here next Friday at 11.06 a.m. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us.